You're listening to Gospel-Centered Rest, a podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of life and theology, and how Christ's promise of rest for the weary and heavy laden gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Welcome back to Gospel-Centered Rest. We are so glad that you are joining us as we seek to encourage one another with the truth of the Word of God and the truth of the Gospel and how it impacts every area of our life. Well, I am joined again today with Pastor Byron Burton, uh, who also pastors at Grace Bible Church. And Byron and I have been going through a series in the book of John looking at the signs of Christ. And this past weekend... Byron preached a sermon on John chapter 6, and in particular, focusing on the feeding of the 5,000. How are you, Byron? Doing well. Doing well. Great. It has been wonderful going through um, these signs. It's been encouraging. I don't know about you, but uh, for me, it's just, been, it's just been refreshing just going back and looking at these things and how important these, uh, these things are to explaining who Jesus is, why he's come. I was just wondering, Byron, would you just mind taking a moment and kind of giving us an overview of the passage you preached on on Sunday? Sure. So John chapter 6 picks up well into Jesus' ministry. John doesn't spend a lot of time on Jesus' time in Judea. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this episode is here, The other Gospels fill in more of the detail. So he's become quite popular. There's crowds of people following him. He has done all sorts of miracles, healing, lame, deaf, blind, even raising the dead. And people are interested. So it's a Passover time. Jesus' disciples have been off two by two, preaching the gospel, healing people as well. And they've just got back together. They've just given Jesus the report, and they're exhausted. And so he says, hey, let's get some time away. So they go across the lake, up into the foothills, deliberately to a solitary place to get away from people. But you can't do that when you're as famous as Jesus is, and the crowd just follows them. They actually walked around the lake Mm. to get to them. So here they are trying to get away. And this whole crowd shows up. At the end of the day, people are just getting tired, including the disciples who were already exhausted. And Jesus enters into this question and answer with the disciples. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to feed them. And they have a back and forth discussion. Well, we, can't, we can't, don't have enough money to feed them. Mm-hmm. And where would we even get enough food to give them a bite? And John says, oh, Jesus did this to test Andrew in particular. Hmm. He knew what he was going to do, so he has them sit down. It's quite orderly. They have this incredibly small amount of food, five loaves, which essentially are five small buns, and a couple of pickled herring in all likelihood, something like that, though it may not be herring. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus takes that food and feeds a crowd somewhere between 10 and 20,000 when you add in the women and children. So this incredible crowd, and the crowd picks up on this. They obviously see what happens, and they start leaping to conclusions. They know their Bible. They know Old Testament. And they start wondering if Jesus is the prophet Moses promised would succeed him. They've been waiting for hundreds of years. Jesus 
doesn't take their bait. Like, they want to make him king right then and there. Mm. Lead the revolution. We're ready. You know, it's, it's Passover time, which for the Jews is like Fourth of July on steroids. They're psyched. They're ready to go to war with the Romans, basically. We know that's part of the whole dynamic throughout the Gospels. But Jesus didn't come to do that, so he leaves them. The next day, they realize he's gone, though they don't know how or where. They know the disciples left. They track Mm. him down back on the other side of the lake again and start this back-and-forth dialogue. And Jesus gives us a chunk of teaching about the bread of life. And Mm. Moses comes up, and manna comes up, and what is the bread of life, and what's God's purpose, and what does God want us to do? And it's all wrapped up coming out of this incredible miracle of provision where Jesus just stands alone. Why do you think that it's important that we understand this miracle, this this sign within the context of the rest of what's happening here in this chapter? And why do you think that this particular sign, you, you talked about it a little bit on Sunday, but why, why do you think this particular sign is set apart from the others? I think on the one level, some people look at the sign and try to make many of the miracles here and elsewhere just mm. morals, you know, incentives, like, like a little proverb that we might teach a child to try to share or be kind. And yet this isn't why it's here. This isn't no. what John's trying to get across. If we all share with each other, we'll all have enough. He's not saying it's a bad thing to share. Mm -hmm. But this was clearly a supernatural miracle of provision. So in the sense of John's structure, he's building his case, showing us sign after sign that is pointing to Jesus, expanding on our understanding of who he is in light of the Old Testament teachings, the promises, the prophecies that are there. So this one in particular picks up on Moses' promise of the coming prophet. Mm -hmm. It also picks up on the manna and all that happened in the wilderness and God's provision for his people. So both of those things come together in Jesus' sign, which as John tells us, he intended, that was his plan, he had one already in mind. He wants to do that. So John has taken that episode to add to his case. We've seen Jesus as the Messiah. We've seen Jesus as this healer gifted by God who who is just above and beyond, isn't limited by space or time. He knows people's hearts. He reaches in. He can heal the broken, which all points us to who he is. John wants us to see he's the Son of God and believe in him. And again, we see that same dynamic in this chapter where the people, some believe, some don't. Mm-hmm. Now, you had just you just mentioned this um, as you were explaining explaining just there, and on Sunday you had mentioned this too that that some of these people, when they had seen that Jesus could do this, it was like, wow, uh, you can feed us if we follow you. You can you can feed us. Um, they weren't necessarily concerned about the whole real picture, real purpose of why Jesus did did the sign that he did. Um, maybe you can just take a moment and, and just talk about the danger that that can be even today for us to look at Jesus through 
You know, what can he give me? What can he do for me? Um, what's, the, what's the difference between having that kind of thought or, or the thought of, of this is why Jesus says he is who he is, this is who he is, and this is how I'm supposed to follow him? Um, but would you mind just speaking about that for, for a moment or two? It's certainly not uncommon for people to either be told or to believe, okay, I'm going to follow God for what I'm going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Believe him, and what will he do? Well, it depends on who promised it. You know, is he going to heal your sicknesses? Is he going to restore your marriage? Is he going to give you a great life? Is he going to give you a better job and a better car and a better house and all this sort of thing? And you think, well, that's a pretty good trade. Mm-hmm. I'll believe in Jesus. He'll give me the golden life. Well, right. this certainly doesn't encourage us in that direction because Jesus very clearly addresses the crowd who were thinking in practical terms. Now, you can't knock them. It would be pretty incredible if somebody would provide food every day. But he says, look further. Look for food that doesn't spoil. Now, he's not saying don't feed yourself, Mm -hmm. but he's saying there's something more important than that. So, so you could almost go back to the Sermon on the Mount where he says, seek first the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and God will give to you the other things you need. Mm-hmm. So if that's our perspective, then we're looking to pursue Jesus not for what he's going to give us, especially mm-hmm. here and now in the physical and material world, mm-hmm. but we're looking for him and the eternal significance, the spiritual value, and that's mm-hmm. what he stresses. He says, I'm, a, I'm the food. I'm the flesh, the, the drink the, that will endure forever. Mm-hmm. You feed on me and you will live forever, not just get today's food, which the man I certainly didn't last any longer than that either, you know? And so he's right. very, very practical to say physical things have their place, but pursue the spiritual mm-hmm. and trust God to take care of the physical and the immediate. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a reminder that what are we pursuing Christianity for? Mm-hmm. Are we doing it because we think, okay, God's going to fix everything in my life? He won't. Mm-hmm. He may fix some things, and we thank him what he does, but he never makes a promise to do that. Mm-hmm. Do we pursue him just because it makes us feel better? Well, some people may, but he doesn't encourage that either. He says, you know, look into your heart and see what is your motivation here. So it's very introspective yeah. at some yeah. level. He calls us to pursue him. And in one sense, as we read through chapter 6, he keeps putting these obstacles in the way, very different than what some people would do. Yeah. When people are having trouble, he doesn't say, oh, well, don't forget that. It's not important. You know, hmm. it's just doctrinal, so, so forget it. He adds these different elements of no, you have to feed on me. There is no other food. You have to eat my mm-hmm. flesh and drink my blood. And the people are repulsed by it. You know, they're saying, well, we're not cannibals. What, what are you wanting us to do? And yet he says, no, you have to understand this is what you've got to do. And it turned mm-hmm. off so many of his followers. Yeah, yeah. It didn't seem like it bothered him Yeah. in the sense of he wasn't prepared to say, oh, please come back. I, I'll change that right. or... Or right. else I won't expect that after all. He says, no, you have to. I don't think it was that it did not disturb him. Even the question he asked the disciples at the end, will you leave too? Mm-hmm. 
I think it's always sad. Mm. God cares whether we are following him or not. It's not that he doesn't give to hoots, but he's not going to stop saying what is true and challenging us and revealing our sin Mm -hmm. and emphasizing his own glory and goodness. As he does that, people are going to respond, and their response is not going to twist or pull God in one way or the other. Hmm. He doesn't react uh, in in a recovery mode Mm -hmm. to what we say or do, but he does call us to respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like it's interesting because this is kind of this this chapter becomes the first point I think in this in this journey through the Gospel of John where you see that it wasn't just the religious leaders or the religious elite that were turning their back on Christ and and uh, and going the other way, but here we see that um, you know these these disciples of of his these people that have been following him uh, in the later uh, portions of chapter six. Uh, it says this therefore. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? And they, a lot of them turn away. A lot of them leave. Um, and uh, it's, such a, it's such a true statement, even in today's culture, in today's church. Many, yeah. many pursue Jesus for their own physical gain, for their own emotional gain for what's going to make them comfortable or maybe they got some other reason uh, but at the end of the day we need to pursue him for the right spiritual reasons and that means we got to take up our cross and we got to follow him um, so yeah it's such an important thing to be talking about and just 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 wondering like as we look at the whole of this chapter what what do you think this chapter teaches us about who Jesus is I think the chapter itself certainly plays a significant role in John's development of Jesus is the Son of God, Mm. that he is this promised figure, not just human, not just the latest in the line of prophets, but one set apart. Like what Hebrew says, God spoke in various times, various ways, through various people, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all the prophets were there, and then there's a son. Hmm. He's in a totally different category than all the rest. Well, this is underscoring that, right. just showing his, certainly his knowledge, his ability. In terms of who he is, you see simple things like his compassion on the people. How yeah. would you feel if you've gone away to get away and they chase you? It's like, get lost, you know, <laughs> go away. I just don't want to talk. But he doesn't right. do that. He spends the day caring for them and teaching them, and then he's going to feed them. And one of the other Gospels mentions sort of some of the background details and saying, we got to get rid of these people. There's so many of them. They need to be sent away so they can feed themselves. And he says, you feed them. Hmm. Just that care, that compassion that was always there. It wasn't just a put-on thing. It, it was who Jesus is, and we see that. And yet it's with that compassion in the midst of that scenario that he, he's still challenging them. Yeah. Because he doesn't give in to what they want. He doesn't mm. give in to their political agenda. He sends them away at the end. And then the next day when they do find him again mm-hmm. and they enter back into the conversation, it's not that he doesn't care about them. He does. 
but he's not going to back away from challenging them, even if it offends them, mm-hmm. even if it's a hard teaching. Mm-hmm. So I think, okay, for our teachers who, who teach believers, are we shying away from hard teaching or offensive teaching mm-hmm. because of a fear of how people might respond? Jesus gives an example of balance, of, of mm-hmm. straightforward teaching, and yet he's not inappropriate mm-hmm. in what he does. And as listeners, when we hear something that's hard, how do we respond? Do we want everything to be easy? Do we think, oh, it should be easy? Mm, doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be John's approach. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned this on Sunday, and I think it's it's also interesting that this same account is in every one of the four gospel accounts. Um, like this, this is, you had mentioned that it's the only yes. one that we see that's repeated in all four. So this must have been a significant event for these disciples. Like this must have been uh, like something that they likely talked about, you know, uh, beyond just what had happened here uh, because it did make a big enough impact for them to write it down four times yeah. from four different perspectives. I'd agree. You know? and, and you think, okay, if you are talking 5,000 men plus mm-hmm. women and children, you are talking a huge crowd of ten to 20,000 people. Well, yeah. Was that typical? Was, was the crowd normally that big? Nowhere else is the crowd specifically numbered that high. We do have another instance where Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000, mm-hmm. and we know that it's not just a typo, that it's really the same thing, because in another place, Jesus tells the disciples, aren't you learning from what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. What happened when you collected after the 5,000? What happened when you collected after the 4,000? So he mentions the two of them. Right. But what a crowd... And I think you're right. It's like a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. When all those disciples are leaving, it obviously was a pretty significant thing. Mm-hmm. And how many people remembered that? How many people told the story again right. and again? But every gospel, yeah, because it just holds Jesus up mm-hmm. in such a significant way. Now, the other gospels don't talk about, I am the bread of life. They don't share mm. the dialogue that John has mm. behind it that sort of help explain the sign. They are showing it as an example of his miraculous abilities and provision yeah. and that sort of thing, which is certainly true as well. But major event, yes. Yeah. Why do you think John spends so much time explaining that? Uh, he basically, I mean, most of the chapter, a good chunk of the chapter, it focuses on that statement, I'm the bread of life. Um, Why do you think that was important for John to get that across? I would suggest that the manna and Moses was such a significant symbol Mm -hmm. of the Jewish people, their identity, if you want to think of it that way. Right. And how many people know it even today? You know, it's one of the stories that kids are going to hear if they're going to go to Sunday school, that parents may have read to them as children, you know, all that sort of thing. It's such a significant thing of who they were and God's provision. And yet Mm -hmm. God uses that, and the Gospels apply it in different ways. In the temptation, when Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the Word of God, the mouth of God, that was taken from the manna as -hmm. well. Hmm. And you think... If they so identified with that as God providing for them 
and he did, then if Jesus is replacing, and that's one of John's themes, Jesus replacing the temple, Jesus replacing this identity, Jesus replacing the Old Testament ceremonial purification text, et cetera, et cetera. So this for John is helping people understand the new, Mm-hmm. why the manna is no longer the key, why it was pointing to something bigger and better, so let's pay attention. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic, because Moses says, when the prophet comes, listen to him. <laughs> you know, right, just right. that emphasis goes together right. with it, that this is not just some other guy, mm-hmm. listen to what he's saying, and he's saying, it's me, come right. to me. Right. I am the true manna. I am the true bread from heaven. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that's been sent. And what are you to do? Believe in the one that's been mm-hmm. sent. It's interesting that he he basically says, um, like he like he talks about Moses here in this passage, but then later on, uh, what does he say? He says, I am, uh, before Abraham was, I am. So he, he also identifies with the fact that I'm better than, uh, I'm a better version of even Abraham. Um, I'm a fulfillment of that. It's like he's taking all of their heroes and he's explaining, I'm the whole reason that these guys existed and these guys all point to me and I am their, I am, I am their Lord and I want to be yours too. Um, yeah, it's just such a powerful theme that comes throughout the whole book of John. There's a, there's a neat thing. Maybe next summer we yeah. could do a different series in John, sure. and we could do the sayings. Because right. along with the signs, there are these significant I am sayings. Mm-hmm. And I am the bread of life is one of them. He talks about I am the door. He talks mm-hmm. about I am the water of life, basically, to the woman in John 4. Later on, he talks about I am the resurrection. I am the way, you know, all mm-hmm. these sorts of things, using that phrase that you mentioned before mm-hmm. Abraham was, I am, which was the name of God. Yeah. So it's like he's taking the name of God and fleshing it out and saying, that's who I am. And John puts these sayings together. Some would argue that they're tag teaming it all the way through, mm-hmm. that each sign has an I am saying that goes with it. I think I can't see that that goes all the way through. Some of them sure. definitely go together like this too in John yeah. 6. Yeah. But that expression of who God is, both by sign and by mm-hmm. symbol, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a neat mm-hmm. system. Yeah, it's like, it's like the, the Old Testament, these saints, and the manna, all this was, was, an, was a big example, illustration of who Jesus truly, truly was and who he had, what he had come to do. Uh, so I just love that. Now, in, in closing, as we wrap up our time here, Byron, what do you what do you think that this passage, or a passage like this, even teaches us about our own needs, our own physical, our own spiritual needs? I think I would try to apply that in my life by reminding myself, God knows my physical needs. Mm-hmm. He knew what that crowd needed, and He chose to provide it. Now, did He have to? No. Did he have to do so miraculously? No. Does God normally feed for our or provide our physical needs miraculously? No. Mm-hmm. Miraculous are unusual. That's why they're miracles. Mm-hmm. But 
it's just that recognition, again, tag-teaming with the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom. Seek the food that will not spoil. Pursue the spiritual realities, and God will take care of the physical things. So if I'm going to apply that in my life, I'm going to say, okay, I don't want to give my primary energy and focus Mm -hmm. to the things that aren't going to last. Mm -hmm. I have to provide. I have to eat and drink and, you know, a family needs a roof over their heads. But how much time and energy do we give to that as our priority as opposed to getting to know God better, caring for other people in Christ's name, Mm -hmm helping the body grow, learn, all the different gifts that are part of the body. We need each other. How, how do we function in that? That helps me prioritize. In that sense, then, God knows my needs. He will provide my needs. I can feed on Christ spiritually, looking to him. It's not a work that I'm going to save myself. Yeah. Do we get tired in doing things? Yes. But it helps when we keep in mind, okay, don't think by going to church and doing good and giving money and doing that, therefore, I'm earning my way into heaven. You know, that just doesn't fly. It's not me. And Jesus said, no, the work is to believe. That's Mm. what we do. Other than that, it's just thanking God for what he has done and what he is providing. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you, Byron. Look forward to our discussion next week. Sounds good.